Welcome to the One Football Podcast. Manchester City find themselves in some hot water. Arsenal are let off the hook and a massive weekend of La Liga action. Joining me, Matt Froelich, today on the One Football Podcast is Danny Cadena Jordan. How are you Hello. doing, Danny? How's everything, man? Uh, everything's well. I, I thought I'd bring you on because you're a you're such a well-rounded podcast guest. You <laughs> know so much. Thanks, man. That's a really nice you're, compliment to hear. Such a wide range of knowledge reaching from... The, uh, the depths of some German football, some Spanish football, and even some financial talk, which we'll get into, because my, my finance knowledge is, is, is limited, and um, the only thing I know about lawyers is from watching Suits. So um, <laughs> we, we won't get too far with just me talking about it, but what we will do is start with Manchester City, who, like I mentioned, find themselves in some hot water. Um, what on earth is happening it seems to me that every time Manchester City get brought up for something or investigated for something it looks like they're covering payments to make it seem like they didn't really pay that much as reported uh, or sorry they paid more than reported um, and they're covering it is that sort of hitting the nail on the head or am I way off um, I mean it's there's like literally hundreds of counts of like you know infringing the rules some it's like some basically cooking the books a little bit some of it is what you're saying, so like back payments to not report them, you know, as actual, you know, salary things like, you know, endorsement deals or sort of like sidesteps uh, for Mancini, I think was one of the people named in those, as well as a couple of players um, to make it seem that they really aren't breaching the FIFA, the financial fair play, sorry. Um, but yeah, long story short, it just seems like they're trying really hard to cover their steps in what, you know, could arguably be a stepping stone for something that allows the Premier League to legally have um, sort of like a, yeah, like I said, like a stepping stone on which to build cases for further clubs. I mean, it's it's always the talk of, you know, whether this club or that club are involved with some like shady business or shady ways of dealing with players or contracts or money in general. Um, and yeah, I also think it's it's kind of, I mean, not, not funnily timed. But it kind of happens at the same time when the British government is kind of looking into wanting to, you know, control the finances of football a bit better, like to regulate a bit better because of precisely these sort of things. Um, so it's kind of like a pushback also from the football industry saying, like, no, we can actually you know, look after our own selves. Um, but, yeah, it seems like they're in they're going to make a case out of this, a, a proper one, too. You, you don't investigate something for four years. You just drop it, you know. Yeah, that's what I thought would happen. Do you think it's kind of they have to make a point at some point and they need to hit someone with a heavy fine and a, and a ban or points deduction or something to basically scare the rest of the league or anyone else into never doing it again? Um, but my question would be, why hasn't it happened before? Like I'm not I'm I'm not pointing the finger at anyone, but there was a lot of talk around Chelsea, you yeah. know, in in the past few years certainly. Um, and I remember when West Ham were found guilty of something slightly different with the Carlos Tevez deal. Yeah. Um, I think they were fined five point five million pounds. I seem to remember, weren't deducted any points. Why Why now? Is it because this is the biggest fish to fry at the minute? I think it's because. I mean, it's not like it's it's a very eerie kind of timing because, like I said, there's like a political thing going happening as well, but. From what I've read, like when the athletic and a couple of other places, it seems to be that this is like the first actual case they could build with like, you know, you know, smoking gun kind of thing where they can yeah. point the finger and say, look, this is where this is wrong. This is wrong. This is wrong. And there's literally hundreds of accounts uh, of, you know, them breaching the rules one way or, you know, stepping in the way to avoid being fully investigated. So everything kind of like adds on to this being like the first time you have something this big that you can actually prosecute or like go after. Um also, like the athletic mentioned something really interesting with that, which was that the Premier League doesn't have sort of like a handbook on what the punishment ought to be. 
So it's basically uncharted territory right now. Like they could literally go for point deduction, banning from the Premier League. It's just a money fine. It could be a bit of everything. So it's kind of like, a yeah, we, we don't know what's going to happen in that regard. But uh, it won't be worst case, best case scenario cheap. Like it's it could be like, you know, also po- deducting points or, you know, whatnot. Something similar to what Juve went through just recently. So I don't know. It's uh, a bit more complicated than that. Yeah, I, I was going to say, how similar is this to the Juventus case? Like, how sort of, I guess, easy to tie up would it be and and similar in terms of point deduction? Well, Juve's been here before. Like, the Cacciopoli scandal was, I think, uh, not the first big scandal, but the most recent big scandal, mm-hmm. uh, putting, putting aside the one they just got 15 points deducted for. Um, and we saw them go to second division. We saw Milan also um, going, you know, suffering some point deductions as well. But that was also related to buying off refs. So it's also like a very different kind of case. Uh, recently, Juve were accused well, and punished basically for uh, cooking the books, but with one or two deals. This isn't necessarily the case. That would have to do more with the Carlos Tevez case where, you know, they're hiding money of the actual transfer fee or the Neymar case to Barcelona where, it was not really clear how much Barca ended up play, uh, paying for him, how much ended up in um, his agent's pocket and whatnot. That isn't really the case here. Here's a case more like an inside job looking after or finding loopholes on which to build, a ca- build you know, sort of like a way of promoting or bringing in talent at a cor- legally a cheaper price, but still mm-hmm. paying them a full-blown bonus here and there or throwing them a bone uh, with, um, you know, an endorsement deal here or there that could kind of like round up or sweeten up the deal a little bit. Do you, do you think this will lead to basically a big round of whataboutery to, to the yes. point where if Manchester City get done over, there's going to be fingers pointing everywhere and it probably, it could even extend beyond the UK, right? To, to yeah. every, every team in Europe. I mean, I, you you would think that. I think you would start definitely in the Premier, and I'm pretty sure that there are enough clubs that you can say, oh, but what about this club being purchased by yeah. you know who? What about these guys that invested in you know what? Like even Chelsea's current you know last spree of of purchases in the winter, like you could definitely point the finger and say, like, okay, fine, we did that, cool. What about this? would just happened. What about Newcastle? What about this? What about the other? What about the takeover from the Glazers? Like you could really snowball out yeah. of this. But that just, I mean, more than. I mean, of course, it's concerning, but the scary part isn't the fact that people start with the whataboutism. It's about the fact that there are that many cases that you can point a finger at. You know, it's um, it's, it's that's a scary thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's not just one or two clubs. We're talking about a handful, at least. Oh, can you imagine like how how bad it could go? I don't know, Man City in in National League or League Two. Surely they could nah, just squeeze teams so. down there. I can't imagine that ever happening. Nah, maybe I mean. I really, I, I honestly wouldn't be able to tell you like what the punishment might mm. look like, but um, I mean, they did bring Juve down to the second division at one point. Yeah. They have just docked off 15 points off them for literally the Arthur thing. Um, so, you know, also Italy is a lot more stringent with that. They have like a financial police, like a whole department dedicated to this. And uh, Serie A has always been sort of like a part of that because, you know, you know, buying off refs and, uh, mm. and, you know, not money laundering, but necessarily, but definitely shady things with money happen in, in Italian football. So it makes sense over there to for them to be a bit more rigid. I don't know the Premier League, what would be the case? If they want to make a case out of Man City, they will. I mean, they're entitled to by law to do so. Mm. Um, but uh, is it in everyone's best interest in a league where every other two years a new club is being bought or sold or whatever? I don't think so. So it's a bit of keeping that in mind as well. Like, the people judging, like the, the judge and the executioner are also the club owners. So, you know, it's not necessarily 
that open, is it? Yeah, I, I really wonder um, how the Premier League feel about this as a product. Yeah. Because sure, they could really go hard on Manchester City. They could impose all sorts of fines and bans. And firstly, they're leaving themselves open to having to do it to every other team. And like we mentioned, that could involve quite a lot of teams. Yeah. And secondly, I guess damaging their own product, saying that basically admitting we didn't have control over who owned what, over what was going on for so many years, and we've only figured it out now. Um, we don't have control over who's buying our clubs. Uh, we're losing any sort of competition in the Premier League because we've taken away one of the biggest teams or Manchester City go back to being a mid-table team. And honestly, if this had happened a few years ago, we would have had the biggest one-team league ever. Liverpool would have run yeah. away with the title for the That's last true. five years. So I wonder if the Premier League are slightly worried about going too hard because they'll effectively be pointing the finger at themselves as well and then creating, I don't know, it would just be odd. Like if every team, big team got punished for this stuff, you wouldn't have an interesting product it's, for them to sell around the world. Yeah, but it's an interesting debate because at the same time, the fact that you can, you know, like, you know, admit your guilt and say you have your mea culpa moment kind of thing proves that you're willing to like reform and all that. So also, like in the interest of key, of saving face, you kind of have to do due diligence. Basically, like mm. you have to go through with it. Um, you've, I, I guess, the, the the PR line would be like we've learned about our regulations. We have to reform 100. percent We have to be a lot more stringent of who gets to invest here. Um, but then again, you would have to like check every club purchase, every single basically transaction every club has made um, up to this point in many clubs, not just one or two to see what is actually within like within the books, what is happening parallel to all that, because like right off the top of my head, I can think of two or three clubs that can definitely be investigated by something similar or yeah. worse, you know? So yeah, like it, it's sort of like a very, very, you know, thin line to crossing where either how much is saving face, how much is admitting guilt, how much is this affecting the quality of the product versus how much is this necessary for the product to be even better? Because that's the other thing, like no one else is going to buy into a league if they think it's shoddy, you know? So it's it's complicated. It really is complicated. Do, do you think, and this is definitely not what fans want to hear, um, <laughs> do, do you think this would kind of push the case of the Super League? Like if City oh, get fucked over and they're 100%. like, you know what, we're leaving this. I mean, that's what I'm thinking. Like if, like think about it in a very logical way. You've invested millions upon millions uh, hundreds of millions in one club, Man City in this case. They get sent to championship. They're not going to play in championship, are they? They're going to join the ranks of Barca, Madrid, and UEFA pushing for the Super League. And once the fourth falls, the fifth is going to fall because then PSG just goes, you know, this might happen to me as well soon. Um, hmm. There really is no incentive to stay in France, albeit that the competition is getting kind of strong, which ironically is also a case for them to leave because I don't want to lose to the likes of Reim. I want to lose to the likes of UEFA or Barca or Madrid. We're that product, not this product. Um, and that opens up just a Pandora's box, I think, of clubs wanting to flee and, you know, just jump ship. Um, having said all that, one way or another, the Super League to me is sort of like unavoidable. As fans, mm. uh, you know, expectations grow. They require better stadiums. They require better teams. Uh, the amount of money that has to be invested in the game is massive at this point. Like, you can't backpedal that. And the only way to get more money at this point, because we're starting to see the TV deals kind of like top off, the new Premier League deal is not going to be higher than the current one. The Bundesliga one is about the same. La Liga one is actually smaller. Um, you're not going to be able to make more money out of TV. So once that's gone, that sort of stuff of, you know, what we used to see as infinite growth in football, where else are you going to get money? 
you have to create a product that is 10 times more appealing than, you know, a Mainz Bochum on the weekend or a Getafe Rayo Vallecano Derby for Madrid. Like, I mean, those are fine. Don't get me wrong, but those are not the big sellers, are they? You want to have a Barca Madrid every other weekend. You want to have a Bayern PSG every other weekend. Uh, not saying that they, w- they would join. I'm just saying that, you know, that's sort of like the aspiration of the Super League to just bring in these powerhouses, create a, I think they talk about 50 clubs at this point now, like two division system um, where, you know, you have every single talented club in Europe competing for one thing or another. I feel like that would, it's, it's the obvious statement to make, but it would just dilute everything. Do I really want to watch El Clasico every other weekend? Yeah, I know. I see uh, your point. Like, uh, maybe the thing is like, you it and loses I its novelty. Up, yeah, but at the same time, like you and I grew up in a world where you know this is the standard, this is the, the status quo. Keep in mind, we've been watching football for a solid twenty years at this point. Yeah. Easy, like this is like this is fucking a lot. Uh, we this is what we grew up with. A lot of the people that are consuming football nowadays and the market that they want to attack, which is like the Gen Zers, they are not consuming football as much, and those that do. Are kind of open to experimenting things like the Gerard Piquet thing he's doing with uh, in Spain with the, the Kings League and all that is proof oh, yeah. that people will consume and will purchase a product that is you know entertaining first and foremost. If it's the football that you and I know, doesn't really matter that much, does it? Like it's seven on seven, they have this thing. It is kind of fun to watch when I like because they have these things that they these magic cards like that they can pull out uh, every other and then, and it's like. You get like a to play the other team with, for two minutes with one one more player, or every goal counts for two for the next two minutes. That sort of thing that keeps people kind of on their toes, which is circus if you think about it. Oh but my god, it's good TV. It is good TV. Like, and that's what people are focused on right now. It's not the purity of the game anymore. It's what sells seats, basically. Oh my word! Right. Well, talking of selling seats <laughs> in actual football, that's what we're talking yes. about this podcast. Like, sorry if you've tuned in for a football podcast and we've given you fourteen minutes of the finest financial, uh, well, finest financial from Just your from your side, map, certainly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. For me, maybe not so much. Um, but it's interesting to learn from you, Danny. Anyway, we'll move on to <laughs> Manchester City on the pitch. As the weekend, they lost to Spurs. Uh, this sort of let Arsenal off the hook a little bit with their defeat Everton, but we'll get onto that in a second. Yeah, Guardiola and the big decisions—not necessarily a marriage that goes that goes very well. Kevin De Bruyne starting on the bench and Manchester City looking not so creative. I mean, that seems blindingly obvious that that would be the repercussion of not having De Bruyne. Um, so why did he do it? I mean, Guardiola is one to tinker. He's always mm-hmm. done that, and he. For as brilliant as he is, he could pick better moments to do those things, couldn't he? Like, he does seem... And he's done that throughout his career. Every time I come in here, I end up always talking about his time at Bayern and how he used... Like, he basically screwed it up in the semifinals in the Champions League. Like, he would change just one little thing he shouldn't be he shouldn't be changing, and then that was it for Bayern in that period. Similar to, like, maybe Simeone and Atletico Madrid, that, you know, he does tinker a lot when he's not supposed to be tinkering. I just think this was one game that they had to win, necessarily. Uh, of course, it probably weren't counting on Everton winning against Arsenal, but even then, true. The more you know, the more reason why you should be winning this game, because then if you're assuming Arsenal's going to win with the game in hand, mind you, uh, they're going to be then eight points ahead of you. So um, it's I don't know. It's one of those things where I think he's just trying to adapt his team, see what he can make work, make fit. Uh, and in a league like the Premier, where you know it seems to be that every game matters a bit more than somewhere else. And the fact that they're so behind Arsenal, so every point matters a lot more. There really is very little room to like 
try and tinker a little bit with the team. So I think it's a bit of, of you know, making the best of the calendar or the schedule to see what he could do. It just feels like a, a, a place where they are notoriously so bad is not the time <laughs> to do it. Like if you want to, you know, tinker around and see how you do without De Bruyne, maybe do it in a home game against a weaker team. But going to the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium where they'd lost four in a row without scoring yeah. does not seem like the time to do it. And now it's five in a row without scoring. Yeah, I mean, he did play Julian in, uh, in Haaland. So maybe that you could kind of be like the safe face moment of him. Like, well, yeah, we mm. haven't scored. So therefore, more goal scores. But uh, yeah, you're taking out De Bruyne, which is, you know, not the smartest move you could make. Could you? Yeah. And, and Harry Kane obviously scored the one and only goal of the game, the winning goal to become Spurs' biggest, biggest, greatest goal scorer of all time. Uh, 267 goals. Should that be applauded more? Because it actually, despite the fact... When I think of goal scorers in the last few years, like you've seen Lewandowski and Ronaldo and Messi smash every single record under the sun. Yeah. Aside from those freaks and those like anomalies in the footballing world, this is still something that we should applaud, right? You know, 267 100%. goals. I mean, he's writing club history. I mean, that has a lot of merit to it. Um, and you make it sound like, he's, you know, the record is like 50 goals. It's yeah. way over. It's closer to 300 than 200. So yeah. it's plenty of goals being scored. Uh, and... First of all, it speaks of the loyalty to the team that he's been there long enough to, you know, reach mm. that that sort of like level of uh, of you know that milestone. Um, but also of his quality, um, he's yeah been the best striker. Tottenham, had, I mean, you you as a Tottenham fan know the be- you know better than I have. He's the best striker you guys have had in ages. Um, yeah, basically, but literally now ever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> so yeah, it gives you an idea of. Um, I mean, what comes to mind actually is the question is like he's gonna stay now forever, isn't he? Like he's just gonna go for the Premier League record, mm. isn't he? Yeah, well, this is the thing. Certainly stay in the Premier League forever. Yeah. I, I would, you know, I know there's been talk about Bayern Munich, but I, I can't I see, don't see it happening. I can't see that happening. I think breaking the Premier League record, yes, because, you know, he's he's 60 off of Valen Shearer's now. Whether it's at Tottenham is, is another question. I mean, his contract runs out next summer. So if Tottenham want to get any money for him, they'd have to sell him this summer. Yeah. Um, and really the only team I can see doing it is Manchester United. Um, yeah, but I don't, I don't know. Like, I mean, I fair know. enough. They would, they, they could squeeze in a better nine, couldn't they? Yeah. But at the same time, yeah, it's like the only. Yeah, now I think about it, it's like the only team you could probably go to because I mean, Madrid still have Benzema, Barcelona yeah. have Lewandowski, Bayern would be the only other logical option, but they're not going to spend a hundred million on him. Yeah. Yeah. I can't. I can't see him moving, moving outside the. But also, league. like, would he be able to earn that much more in Man United than in Tottenham? Well, this is the funny thing, because I think Kane's on £200,000 a week at Spurs, joint yeah. top earner with, with Tangi Ndombele, I believe, which is bizarre. Um, <laughs> and I, I remember a few weeks ago, there was something about Eric Ten Hag really trying to, you know, hammer down a wage structure at Manchester United and make sure that players aren't earning over a certain amount. Now, I know the top players are at the minute. They obviously had Ronaldo on, I think it was half a million a week or something ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, I think David De Gea is on about 375 Jesus, um, De Gea. Potentially, yeah, De Gea, yeah, I believe he is one of, if not Manchester United's highest paid player. Um, so, yeah, he could earn a bit more. But I, I think at this stage, when you've been earning 200 grand for the last five years a week, it's not, the extra 100 grand is great, but it's it's not, I wouldn't say it's the be all and end all. You know, he's not making, like we see now, so many players move to the Premier League because they can instantly double, triple their wages. Yeah, With Kane, it's, yeah. Maybe maybe it's slightly different. And I also think it depends on how Tottenham finish off the season. I think top four is obviously the the main goal. Um, still in the FA Cup, still in the Champions League. Obviously difficult yeah. to win. Um, 
but who knows? Who knows? Maybe we could see him stay after all. Uh, of course, that Manchester City win let Arsenal off the hook uh, as they lost 1-0 to Everton. This was <laughs> this was written in the stars. A short new manager bounce, yes. making them tough to beat. That was the phrase we, we heard all weekend. Tough to beat Everton. Uh, yeah. Is this the start of an Arsenal collapse? Were they that poor or is it just a blip? Oof. I mean... I think it's the second defeat in the season. I mean, it, it, you have to give it to Arteta for like building a proper team uh, and uh, a team that is, you know, very, very much comfortable in the first position. Uh, I think this was just a hiccup in the road. Like, it's not that that big of a deal. Uh, new coach effect more than anything, I think. Sean Dyke did his, he kept his word of making Everton quite hard to beat. Um, I was watching this video, the, the coach's voice, where he like explains protecting the V, he calls it, which is sort mm. of like this, Thing where like he narrows down the defense and just basically makes it an unpenetrable block um and that seems to be the case basically like he did really make the you know arsenal struggle to get a shot in tar- on target and uh i think that was sort of like the, the the quintessential thing about it in the end like that was the the takeaway sean dyke is good at that thing and he brought that sort of knowledge to a team like everton that albeit doesn't have the best defense line but they're hardly out of talent there like do have good names there um, they just he just gave it you know a reason to be kind of thing in the defense. They've been so focused on you know performing offensively on you know scoring many goals, playing attractive football, and they forgot the basics. That's what led them to this mess uh, under Lampard. So I think that at this point, bringing a guy you know who's gonna you know put out the fire kind of situation and mm-hmm. then kind of like build upon that, uh, I think it speaks more about what Everton might expect from Sean Dyke and what we might see from Everton from now on than what Arsenal weren't able to. Um, you know, work around. But I, I don't see Arsenal, you know, dropping off the, the title race anytime soon whatsoever. They've got a couple of games against Manchester City coming up as well. well that'll be beautiful. Both of, the, both of the games. Honestly, as far as title races go, these two games are obviously massive, but I'm just looking forward to them. This is what I want the Premier League to be. Not not investigations and scandals. Exactly. Just Football, the, you know. Yeah, the, the top two teams going after each other. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, I think for Arsenal... Someone did actually point out that given their FA Cup defeat to Manchester City as well, it's two defeats in a row, two games without scoring. Do you think maybe the squad depth will come back to harm them a little bit? I know they did sign Trossard and, of course, um, uh, just completely escaped my mind who they signed at the end. Jorginho too. Um, Do they really have enough firepower, though, to keep going if one of them's out of form with with Jesus out injured till March? Um, That's a thing, like... They are, Ketty is the only recognized center forward. Yeah, they only they always seem like they're one injury away from being, mm. you know, iffy. But then they are in a little bit. Like, they've, they've been in this mm. position before this season where, you know, there's like one player in depth for one position specifically. And they kind of work around it somehow. I think that's the genius of Arteta in the end, that he does understand how to complement or like balance out those sort of like weak spots whenever the squad is like a, a guy or two short. Um, it's a really interesting point you raised. They haven't scored in two games. I fully forgot about that. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I think I do. I, I do think this is going to be still just a hiccup in the Premier League sense of it. Yeah. Also, now without the without the cup, there there's also not this. You know, there's there's no second tournament to look forward to, basically. Um, in well, within Britain at least, or in England. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think there's. It's also sort of like the January end of January, beginning of February Blues thing, where you do see a lot of teams kind of like breaking their form and coming back to it a little bit. Bayern's a good example of that. You know, after you know not have, starting that well this year kind of bouncing back a little bit. I think it's that sort of process where, you know, the team kind of re- has to like rethink what they're doing, readapt to new players being brought in, what the rivals have also done the transfer market, which in Britain was plenty. Um, 
so yeah, I think those little things combined kind of could justify why maybe Arsenal are just having a tough couple of weeks. But besides that, I don't really believe they're going to just drop the ball at this point. I think they have what it takes. And once the mm-hmm. players come back that are injured, it'll be fine. So you're going to go for them for the title? Is that your second half of the season? I think, I mean, if, if I mean, you look at what they've been doing and the fact that this is not, like I said, the first time they've been down a guy or two, uh, yeah, they should be able to keep up pace, I think. Definitely more than City that still have a lot to play for and, a lot more, and many more fronts. So if they oh, get deducted points, that literally leaves Arsenal just oh, yeah. chilling by themselves. Easy peasy, man. Like, unless they really have to fuck it up to like drop it. Yeah. Really, really have to drop the ball. You've put it out into the universe. Don't tempt fate. Sorry for the <laughs> Arsenal fans listening. Sorry, guys. Um, Sorry. Next up, though, we'll move to Leeds United. Yesterday, sacked Jesse Marsh. Yes. Uh, and obviously, the big question is who next for Leeds? I saw Bielsa linked with a return nah, nah, just a year nah. after being after being let go. Is that is that a no go for you? That's just, I mean, that that's just wanted to get back with your ex more than than an actual thing. I think. I mean, that would be lovely. Don't get me wrong. Bielsa coaching is one of my favorite things in football. Mm. But uh, is it feasible? Maybe I don't know. He did fly all the way to see what Everton had to offer for a job. That's um, what I'm thinking. Yeah. Like he's obviously on the lookout, but you're know. right. They've moved on for a reason. They let him go yeah. for a reason. Yeah. Uh, the, the another name was um, his former assistant, uh, who, who's now at West Brom. Oh, yeah, that's Spanish um, guy. Um, Corboran. Yeah, that's it. Um, who worked under Bielsa for a few years at the under-23. He's doing well with West Brom. Yeah. I'm not quite sure the experience, to be honest, for a relegation battle. That's it. Like, I think you want someone yeah. that has a bit more, a bit thicker skin for this moment. Like, yeah. the, like literally, a, a, they're a defeat away from being in the red zone. Mm. So it's not, you want a guy that knows, like, maybe has been there before. And if it hasn't, like, has sort of, like, the knowledge, the football knowledge to what to do to rebuild around this team already have. Yeah. And the, the, the other name was Maurizio Pochettino. Ooh. I think that's, the, he's he's above Leeds level, to be honest. There's no disrespect to Leeds at all. Um, and I know Pochettino didn't necessarily have the best of times at PSG, despite winning a couple of cups. Um, yeah. But in terms of if they look at where Tottenham were, Tottenham weren't as bad when Pochettino took over, but Leeds have all the facilities and, and the size of the club to basically be another Tottenham if they manage to get Pochettino in. True. Um, do you think this would be a particularly good one for them? I mean, he is looking for something interesting, and he's sort of like a project kind of coach. Exactly. So that would it would be a really interesting fit, to be quite honest. And it would be a chance for him to get back into the Premier, which is never a bad thing, is it? I, I feel like Leeds and Argentinian coaches just... They big were. Handshake, they were. Big handshake emoji. Because the other one I saw was that, I always pronounce his name wrong, Gallardo? Gallardo? The guy it, was yeah, at River. Gallardo. Yeah, I saw he, him too he, for River. He was at River for a long time, right, in, in Argentina. He the, he's the best coach they've had in, in ages. Like, he won everything more than once. So he's he's fantastic as a coach. He is the sort of guy, like River were going through a lot of, like, financial difficulties. So they had to sell every year a player or two to just, you know, make do. And they were still competitive. Uh, they don't have... I mean, River also have, like, a really good youth division. But um, not... I mean, the towns we're pulling up weren't necessarily... You know, Julian Alvarez aside, maybe they weren't the ones who you say, oh, this is going to make the team a title contender, you know? And yet mm-hmm. they're always there. And he's the like a very resourceful coach, very good with, like, a locker room kind of coach. Like, very, you know, good with, like, personality. But he can carry a team on his own. Um, he would be amazing as a fit. Is this English up for it? I don't know, though. That's a thing, like... 
But then again, yeah. Bielsa didn't speak a word English. He just had a translator and that worked. I, I was about to say, that translator became famous in his own right. Yeah. Like, everyone just wants a non-English speaking coach just so we can see that translator back. Oh, fantastic. I, I read something about his backstory. Like he'd been around at a few... A few I know teams. very little about him, actually. I don't know that much. I'm sure he'd been around at a few teams. That was amazing. Um, yeah, I, I would love to see Gallardo. I don't know a huge amount about him, but someone who, as you said, can make River competitive over the course of what... In today's world, footballing world, is a long time to stay yeah. as manager, like yeah. you know, a decade. Um, so yeah, I think that'd be really interesting. Good one. No, good I think on yeah, Gallardo would be like a really good. I mean, any European club that lands Gallardo is going to do well. I, I'm yeah. 100% sold on that. Like, there's no way he's going to screw. It. And I'm not a rare fan. I'm a Boca fan, actually. But he is, I think, the best Argentinian coach they've seen in a while. Club coach, of course. Then yeah. Scaloni, who came out of nowhere and just you know won the World Cup. But, uh, well, won everything, actually. But uh, Gallardo yeah. is very, very interesting as a coach. He's very pragmatic, I think. And he can work with what he has, which is also, like, a good thing for Leeds because they wouldn't have to, like, proper rebuild um, with everything, which you would kind of need with, with Bielsa. Well, you kind of need it with Bielsa back in the moment yeah. because of, you know, the quality gap between Championship and Premier League. But um, he can work with little, and he will deliver. So, Leeds, uh, in hoping for a new manager bounce, actually take on Manchester United twice this week lovely because of reschedule fixtures back to back oh, yeah. and united will have to do so without casemiro who is sent off for um for choking will hughes an absolute <laughs> bizarre I, I was watching it with my mates and watching it back thinking i don't care if there's no force what are you doing you yeah, can't do that legal. that's not legal like never mind red car that's just not legal yeah right? <laughs> you can't you can't even do that in rugby yeah, like he, oh, honestly, it was absolutely mad. Um, so obviously with the with the injury to Ericsson as well, they now have Casemiro and Ericsson out. Yeah, is Sabitzer now looking more and more like the answer that they needed because he's going to have to be. Ooh, yeah, I mean, uh, he. I'm actually kind of sad he's he's left the he's left Bayern on, on the loan. He is because he's like a huge Bayern fan since he's like a kid. That was like sort of what the Bayern fans were sold when he joined. Um, Byron, but um, I think he's a very, very savvy and very adaptive player. He's uh, very you know, cool-headed uh, as well, and I think he's just the right. He he could be that sort of like purchase that you would say that well signing that you would say like oh, okay, thank fucking god we got this guy because now yeah. we're out of these two guys and he can actually prove himself. I think he will. I think he'll be you know still testing the water a little bit on on what playing in the Premier is like, but. Um, I mean, he's he's great. He's he is a, a solid player. Without Freding, without sorry, Casemiro and Eriksen, though, that's a big ask for Man United, especially if they're to, as it's been quietly whispered, put together a late title challenge. Um, do you see Fred and McTominay maybe and and Sabitzer as like a strong enough midfield three for the next few games? Or I mean, it's a good patch. You wouldn't definitely be competing for a, or you know whispered into like a title race no. with those players alone, but. Having said that, for a couple of games, you could make do, I think. Yeah. I mean, they, oh, they've also, I mean, Casemiro obviously only banned for a couple of games in the Premier League. They've got Barcelona coming up. True, yeah. Completely escaped my mind in the Europa League as well. Obviously, yeah. without Ericsson, has been so good this season. So, yeah, I think, I think definitely the most testing period, I would say, for Ten Hag. Yeah, I, I think, think this is sort so of like, I mean, if, if, you know, the Ronaldo saga wasn't testing enough, yeah. uh, I think this is also... He's a good coach. On the field. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. um, yeah, 100% dedicated into football. I think this could be the biggest. Um, yeah. If he has to get yeah, two Manchester United games, sorry, two, um, two the Barcelona game and yeah, the, the Premier League games he has come about. I think that could be mm. like 
proper complicated without these two, like basically the engine of the team, you know? Uh, so I don't know. It would be interesting to see how, how United bounce out of this one. Uh, and moving on to the Bundesliga, we mentioned earlier Bayern Munich and their, their victory at the weekend. I saw that their XG was <laughs> something joke. horrendously poor compared to um, compared to Wolfsburg. And uh, they still managed to win 4-2. I think it's because they obviously hit early with three goals in the first, what was it, like yeah. 25 minutes or something ridiculous. Um, is I know that it's very close. And I know that the top six, to be honest, anyone puts together some form from the top six in the Bundesliga, they could be in for a title shot. Yeah. Despite the fact it's so close... Does it still feel like Bayern's, even though I think they're only one point clear at the top? Um, Bayern's to lose? I mean, yeah. Bayern always start as this favorite club to win the title, but, you know, arguably the best reason around. They just win it the whole time. Mm. Um, but it, it does feel there's a different aura to the Bundesliga this, this time around. Like Dortmund are remarkably resilient, something that they usually don't, a word you don't usually use to describe Dortmund. Usually they, they're one to drop the ball, that's what I'm trying to, to get at. But they've played great football. Um, the one team up there that's kind of like floundering a bit is Freiburg. You would expect that as well. Like one of the two surprise teams to like, you know, start slowing down in pace and not, you know, conceding more goals, not gaining that many points would be one of the, of the surprises, Freiburg. Union is still remarkably well. Um, Frankfurt are playing really good football. They're, they have Colomani, who's playing amazing, amazing uh, this season. Uh, he's, I think he's top scorer, a top scorer assist. Like yeah. assists, he's, I think, 21 in 18 games, which is ridiculous. Um, then there's Leipzig, who are still playing without Nkunku. Once he's back, he could also be something interesting to keep in mind. When getting at it, I said, for the first time in ages, you do see that every team up there... Uh, has something to offer and that they could actually give Bayern a run for the money. Bayern also have the PSG thing coming on, the whole Neuer uh, situation. Mm. From the outside seems kind of odd, but in the in the Bayern frame of mind, it's a very like dramatic moment. It's like the captain speaking ill of the team just before this big game that they have to win. Um and it's sort of like the big for, like the big the first big challenge that the Oliver Kahn presidency has as a project in the team mind you they're also like under a lot of shit for the Qatar deal which might not be renewed which means they're going to earn 20 million less next season so there's like a lot of things happening right now that just don't focus on the football um but having said all that they did have an interesting winter like they brought in Joao Cancelo they brought in Daily Blind mm. they brought in enough talent to you know make up for the for the injuries they've been having um but they did lose Sabaster. you do still have Musiala Mueller scored as well so players are kind of getting back in shape and you can start seeing that they're going to, you know, do what they do best, which is like revive on, on February. Um, are they a team to beat? 100%. Like, you know, you still have to get past Bayern to be a champion in the Bundesliga. It's that simple. But this time I do see the spirit, uh, the, the fighting spirit in a couple of teams here and there that uh, that could make this very, very interesting. You mentioned Cancelo there. He's got two assists in his first two games. What? How? Like, why has he adapted so well? Why was this such a match made in heaven for him? Well, Nagelsmann loves him because he's always said he is the sort of um, fullback that does what he needs the most, which is just crossing the ball perfectly. And that those have been the two assists. It hasn't been like an inside pass. It's been like literal crosses that have found the right player at the right moment in the in the pitch. Um, first assist was amazing, actually, because it was to the far post, crosses over all the defense, and just luckily finds, I think, was, was Musiala or was it? I remember who it was who scored the first mm. goal he assisted. But point being, he is he is what Nagelsmann needed, so to say. And I wouldn't be surprised if Bayern actually fork out the money if the Pavard thing doesn't work out. I think they'll they'll get rid of Pavard, who kind of wants to leave, doesn't want to renew, has been stubborn about it. 
Um, and I think it's like a massive upgrade from Pop Arthur, quite honestly. So you have Cancelo Masrawi on the left, on the right side, sorry. So that's a really, really harmful duo to face, I think. It's really, really good to have. Yeah, I feel like that's a good option. Like Pavar obviously wants to leave. Barcelona are interested. Yeah. They probably won't get this 70 million euros, right, for Jao Cancelo? Um, no, nah, I think they could, you can get for 50, maybe. I mean, but still, you can sell Pavard for easy 25, 30. I... Yeah, you can make up at least 50% of the Jao Cancelo transfer by yeah. bringing in money for Pavard. So you I can think... invest, you will have to invest in him 100%. But like yeah. you say, like the Pavard deal, maybe another couple of movements would uh, allow Byron to afford this without, you know, reaching too deep into the pockets. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, the thought of Cancelo on top form with Byron makes them scarier now. I'm loving it. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, I think it's massive. It's massive ahead of, especially the PSG um, Champions League title as well. It's going to be a hell of a game. It's going to be a hell of a game. I cannot wait for that. Talk about, you know, Man City Arsenal in the Premier League. The Champions League is obviously back this month as well. Uh, We'll talk about it more next week, but yeah, PSG buying. Maybe Mbappé's not going to make it. Or you start the whole thing like Nagelsmann saying like, "Ah, I'm calling both. Yeah, I don't believe it. Yes, like read him and weep. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> fine. Say that in private. Don't say in a press conference, you idiot. Like, what are you thinking? <laughs> this this just adds fuel to the storylines. I love, love it. it. I love I, it. Love it. I can't. I, I, I can eat this up so much, man. It's fantastic. <laughs> um, moving on though to La Liga, away from yes. the Bundesliga, Barcelona are eight points clear. Yeah, and they're obviously doing very well at the minute. I think that goes without saying. But are they that good, or are we seeing a bit of a Real Madrid stumble that's heading that's helping them on their way? I mean, what happens with, and I quote, ironically, Guardiola, of all people, um, when he joined Bayern, he said that Heinke has brought Bayern to the top. The hard part is staying at the top. I think Madrid have reached that point where they're like kind of cruise control at this point. If they, they want to win the, the, the league, I suppose, as well. But to them, the priority is the Champions League. And they've proven that even like a lackluster Madrid can be harmful uh, and can do a lot of damage to everybody. Um, having said that, Barca have done a really good job defensively, specifically uh, in, in La Liga. Um, I think it's a tail, it's a two sides, to, two two phases of the same coin kind of thing. In the sense that Barca are playing well in the Liga, they're doing you know have, ma- making a good season out of this one. But at the same time, you can definitely tell what you could already see in the transfer market this winter that La Liga has no money, and that a lot of the teams that used to be able to compete toe to toe with maybe not the English teams or the German teams or the French teams and Italian teams for talent really can't do that anymore. So they're really struggling to adapt and to build projects where Barcelona literally had to like mortgage half of the club to be able to compete this season. So in that regard, they are, you know, seeing that payoff. But I think it's going to be this sort of season where they know they have this one chance to win La Liga because next season they're going to have to sell for scrap a lot of players. Um, but yeah, Ter Stegen's been fantastic. I think this is his best season on record back, actually. Mm. And I mean, yeah, seven goals in 20 games conceded is insane. Like, that's really, really good form. Um, is this a, a great Barca? I would disagree fully. I think it's just a really good team that has done okay domestically. They've lost the motivation to compete internationally. Fine, mm. he's still in the Europa League, but, you know, the money was on the Champions League. Winning the Europa League is not going to even dent the depth they have as a yeah. So, you know, um, no offense to teams that are playing there right now, let alone the, the, the you know, Manchester United who they're playing right now. Uh, but definitely, I think the focus is on winning some silverware to just save face. And this is a lot likelier, it seems, than actually winning the Europa League. 
With um, with the need, I guess, to, to sell some players in the summer, and they're probably not going to put together any massive transfer fees either. How no. important do you think uh, it is that they, well, finally manage to register, but also keep and produce the likes of Gavi moving forward? Like, is, is a new La Masia generation, like, top of their list, basically, your priorities? I think that's... Yeah, I mean, that was even sort of like the talk when 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 Laporta took over for, as a president uh, a couple of years over, it was, we have to revive La Masia. Like, this is our bread and butter. This is what we're famous for. This is where Messi came from, Ansu Fati came mm. from, Nogavi and Pedri. I mean, it's it's a really, really good school of football. It's, one of, it's not the best, one of the best for sure. And it's just the easiest way to strengthen the squad, I think. Um, they're going to have to get rid of the likes of De Ligt, Ter Stegen, even, you know, the, the, the higher... De Jong, you mean, not De Ligt. De Jong. Yeah, sorry, De Jong. Yeah, <laughs> my bad. Um, uh, yeah, a little brain fart there. Um, <laughs> yeah, like that sort of thing where they're going to have to sell players that actually bring in a lot of money and it's not money they can reinvest in the squad. Like they're going to, like they're literally running out of options on how to afford to be in La Liga next season. So yeah, they have to cut down the wage bill. I don't know what's going to happen with Lewandowski's contract, to be quite honest. Like I think they're going to have to like renegotiate because they cannot afford a striker that expensive. Yeah. Um, and I don't know, like it's, it's been kind of like a circus when you think about like the roster, how much has changed. Like they went from Depay, they had Obama Young. They've had all these players that have lasted less than a season in the last two years, basically because of money. Um, they can't afford to keep up their word at the end of the deal. Uh, you know, of like, okay, we'll pay you two million this season, but next million you'll see, next season you'll see six million kind of thing to compensate. They're just getting rid of them half, halfway through because they just don't have the money for it. I'm not sure they're going to be able to keep Lewandowski either because of that. Because next next season, the case with Lewandowski is what it was with De Jong this season, where De Jong was like, okay, fine. You promised me 17 million. Give me 17 million. I don't want to leave. This is a contract. It's binding both ways. So you not paying me is sort of like me not playing, basically. Um, and Lewandowski is, I mean, he's Lewandowski. Like he could go anywhere yeah. he wants, you know? And um, he picked Barcelona for the challenge. He's, you know, delivering very surely. But uh, I don't know. I think the money situations with making them realize, like, guys, we have to win this. Also, it's the, like, Xavi needs to deliver something, you know? Um, yeah. He was sold as this big solution, this technical solution to Barcelona fans. And, I mean, he got kicked out of the Champions League relatively easily, you know, by Inter and Bayern. So, I don't know. He kind of needs this silverware to say, like, at least I won La Liga brought the team back up to mustard it's it's i don't know it's a very complicated situation where this seems mm. to be the one thing that they have going for them a really good league season well it sounds like we've made the footballing world out to be all sort of nightmares and terrors and financial <laughs> difficulties but guys if you enjoy the football continue to enjoy the football on the field because i know i do and i know you it's do not all that bad though. come on yeah it's it's not all <laughs> it's not all that bad it's, it's not our money that's what I'm saying. It's, yeah. it's not our money at the end of the day. <laughs> um, but that is all from this week for the podcast. Thank you so much, Danny, for joining me. Um, we'll be back towards the end of the week, actually, previewing some of the weekend's football. Um, but yeah, that's all from myself and Danny for today. Of course, if you guys want to get in touch, you can tweet us it's at OneFootball. We can email us. The address is podcast at OneFootball.com. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you guys next time.